This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com As we mentioned, according to Minog Ashkenaz, there are 45 kinos that are part of the liturgy of Tisha B'av. Many of the kinos are very difficult to understand because of their structure, because of their language. The Torah writes in Simon Tovkov Nuntes that the whole congregation needs to understand them. Women, children, even the young boys, and therefore for the sake of greater understanding and to enhance the meaning of our Tisha B'Av service, we're going to be selecting specific kinos to recite, to focus on, paying attention to the historical background and some of the key phrases. We should know though, that even if you don't understand the meaning of the words of the kinos, the words themselves carry tremendous Kedusha. Perhaps the, the most well-known of all the Paitanim, the most well-known of all the authors of Kinnis was Rebbe Lezer HaKalir, who is considered the father of the Paitanim. He's the author of the first 15 Kinnis that we say today, and many of the Tefillahs that we say throughout the year. The Shibali HaLeket brings a tradition that Rebbe Lezer HaKalir, when he composed one of the Piyutim, a heavenly fire encircled him. In fact, Mahari Hertz writes that when Rebbe Lezer wanted to compose the piyutim, he uttered various shemois, he ascended to the heaven, and the angel Michael taught Rebbe Lezer how to compose the kinos. Now Rebbe Lezer was certainly an awesome personality, but there is a degree of uncertainty regarding exactly who Rebbe Lezer was, Toysvitz Masech the Chagiga and Daf Gimel identifies Rabbi Lezer HaKalir as none other than Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. The Rajba and the Chubas HaRajba, Simon Tov Samach Tes, identifies Rabbi Lezer HaKalir as a great Tana, Rabbi Lezer Ben Arach. So whether we understand the words, we have to understand that each word of the Kinnah is latent with great spiritual power. We begin the Kinnahs with Kinnavav. Shavas. Shavas, Mesois Libenu, Shavas, which means everything came to a standstill. Everything stopped suddenly, unexpectedly. But Soloveitchik explains that sometimes people have an intuitive recognition that tragedy is imminent and that helps a person psychologically prepare their minds for the upcoming tragedy. However, the Mekoyne in Rebbelezer expresses that the tragedy of the Churban was not just that it happened, but Shavas, that it happened suddenly, without any preparation. Yeah, the people were warned there's going to be Churban, there's going to be Churban, but they didn't believe it. They didn't expect it to happen. They woke up in the morning and lo and behold, the Beis Hamikdosh was no longer the Beis Hamikdash was gone. Yerushalayim was destroyed, and they were being taken into Galus. Even Yirmiyah himself, who prophesied about the upcoming disaster, even he experienced the suddenness of the Churban. Hashem commanded Yirmiyah to go to Anasais. By the way, the Seder Hadoyer says the word Eicha is a Rashi Tevais. Ani, Yirmiyah, Koyen. Ha'anasais. I, Jeremiah, the prophet from Anasais. He was commanded to go there to buy a field from his uncle. And when he left, the Beis HaMikdash was standing and the column of smoke was going straight up and the Kayhanim were bringing the Karbanais. And Yirmiyah came back and the Beis HaMikdash was gone and the smoke was gone and there was no building. Let's take a look at the eighth line in the Kinnah, the Mekoinein. The Lamenter says, Eini chiksa lachazoin ben berechia. My eye longs for the vision of Zechariah ben berechia. Like we read in the Navi Zechariah, Yeshvu, Zekenim, Zekenois, Brechoivos, Yushalayim, the Navi Zechariah prophesied, Elderly men and women will sit in the streets of Yushalayim, Ve'ish minshantoi biyadoi meiroi v'yamim. Each man with his staff in his hand due to old age. Eini chiksa 
L'chazoyin ben Berechia, we longingly look forward to that prophecy. If we look on the 13th line, <clears throat> on the bottom, Al-Penei Peras Nupsu Chasideha, at the Euphrates River, her pious ones were mutilated. This refers to when the Jewish people were being exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. And the well-known Nevi'im were being carried off. And Nebuchadnezzar commanded the Levi'im to serenade him. Shiru lanu mishir tziyayin. Sing to us from the songs of Zion. Serenade us while we gloat over our victory. Whereupon the Levi'im hung up their instruments. And they bit off their thumbs, they mutilated their thumbs, making it impossible to sing any songs. They didn't say, say Loi no shir ashir Hashem. They said, Eich no shir ashir Hashem. How can we sing with mutilated thumbs? So we like to say over from our favorite Masechta, Masechta Yevama, Yistav Peivav, where Tosis brings down, on Devei Hamascha, Umebnei Levi, Loi Matsasisham, Toysus is bothered Then the times of the second Beis HaMikdosh It says Ezra came back And he could not find any Leviim There were no, no, no Leviim Returned in times of the second Beis HaMikdosh So Toysus says Actually there were Leviim There were no young Leviim The only Leviim that returned In the times of the second Beis HaMikdosh Were the old Leviim Who were 83 years old and up they were the Levim that Nebuchadnezzar had expelled from Yishalayim, who when Nebuchadnezzar commanded the Levim bit off their thumbs, so there was no one to sing in the Beis HaMikdash. The young Levim weren't there. The old Levim didn't have thumbs. And therefore, amazingly, the Navi tells us, Ezra penalized the Levim for good. Meiser Rishon is no longer given to the Levim. Tzmachloik is who we give it to, the Kaihanim, also the Levim, but the Levim were penalized. So I asked Reb Chaim Zaychik, who are you penalizing? You're penalizing the old Levim for biting off their thumbs? They sacrificed their limbs not to play for Nebuchadnezzar? How could you penalize the Levim? Says Reb Chaim Zaychik, yes, it was admirable that the Leviim could not play for Nebuchadnezzar under any circumstance, but they should not have bit off their thumbs. Biting off their thumbs meant they didn't think that they would survive another 70 years and see one day the building of the second Beis HaMikdash. They gave up hope. The worst crime for a Jew is to give up hope. We're now streaming... So we're going to start all over. Now we're going to continue. <clears throat> the Levim were Mayayish. The Levim gave up hope. And a Jew never gives up hope. For giving up hope, the Levim were penalized. They lost my Sarishain forever. But we are never Mayayish. Afilu Cherev Chada Munachas al Savorish al Adam al Yimna Atzmai Ben Harachamim Kinavav Shabbas. The most important kinah that we say on Tishbab is kinah yud aleph, vayikoinein yirmiyal yoshiyahu. Because the recitation of the kinah was ordained by the Navi Yirmiyah himself. And the Navi tells us in Divrei Hayamim, Beis, Paraklamet, hey, vayikoinein yirmiyahu al yoshiyahu. Vayoimru kal hasharim, hasharois, bekinoisam al yosho, adayim azeh. All the male singers, all the female singers have always mentioned and lamented Yoshiahu until today. They made it a law that whenever there's Jewish tragedy and we mourn the tragedy, we include in it the murder of Yoshiahu HaMelech. So here's rule number one. The more important something is, the more misinterpreted and distorted information you're going to be fed. So ignore what it says in your kinnas for this kinnah. Because that's what the Christians say. If you want to know what we say, listen carefully. This is the most distorted kinnah of the entire corpus of the kinnas. Number one, we know the story about the greatness of Yoshiahu, 
The Navi says, "Melachim v'chamay Eloi ha'ilafan amelech, asher shavel Hashem b'chol liboi, b'chol nafshoi, b'chol ma'odai, k'chol toras Moshe." Gam b'chol malchay Yisrael sharkamu ligdar. We say on the sixth line. From all the Jewish kings that arose to make fences around the Torah, like Kam Kamayu Mimaisa Vigdar, nobody was like Yoshiyahu since the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe had ten names, one of his names was Avigdar. Yoshiyahu's grandfather was the wicked Menashe, and he committed his early reign to strip the Jewish people of every vestige of Emunah, and he planted in every corner of Eretz Yisrael, including in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, an idol. Menashel did tshuva later in life, but it was too late. We don't like to talk about that, you know, about when it's sometimes too late to do tshuva. But it was too late for Menashe. And then his son took over, Amon was also an idolater, and he continued to corrupt the region for two years. Yoshio was only eight years old when he began to reign over the Jewish people. Can you imagine? You would come into the Beis HaMikdash and they're sitting on the throne Ein Yeshiva Ba'azara an eight-year-old child wearing the king of Malchus Beis David. Now in the Kinnah we say on the third line Ben Shmoina Shana Heichel That's poetic. He wasn't eight years old when he began to search out Hashem. It was the eighth year of his reign when he began to search out Hashem. But a new king is considered Katan Shanailad. And in the 18th year of Yoshiyahu, something happened that would change the face of Erzisol forever. Chilkiyahu. Who's Chilkiyahu? Father of Yermia. He's making long overdue repairs in the Beis HaMikdash and he discovers uh, Sefer Torah. That the Christians would like you to believe and so would your kinnas, that this was the only Sefer Torah found in all of Eretz Yisrael. That Menashe and Amon had so thoroughly eradicated the Torah from Klal Yisrael that there was no Sefer Torah in the Jewish people. Chas v'shalom to bring such heresy into the Kodesh HaKadoshim of your minds because that would mean that there was a severance in the tradition of the Torah of Klal Yisrael which is the worst type of Bible criticism that you could entertain. What was significant was not that they found the Sefer Torah. What was significant was that Sefer Torah that was found. It was the Sefer Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, says Harav Victor Miller. Awake my glory, page 305. And where the Sefer Torah was open to, was open to the Teichacha, to the Pasuk, Not only will God lead out the nation, He will lead out the king as well. Whereupon the Yushalmi says that Yoshio tore his clothing, he was so shaken, says the Yushalmi, Yoshio uttered two words, He's going to uphold the Torah. And Yoshio went into a nationwide, massive tshuva movement, a great assembly that Klai so needed to dedicate themselves v'chalevu v'chal nefesh. However, Yoshiyahu was somewhat naive into thinking he was successful in eradicating all Avodah in Klai Yisrael. But we know Chazal tell us they had a double door system and they hid the Avodah behind the door. So when the detectives came in to the Jewish home and they said, have you filtered out your Avodah they said, sure, tag, it's, we have tag, tag filters, no Avodah over here. And when they opened the door, the Avodah was hidden behind the, the door. So Yoshio gets word from the king of Egypt, Paro Nechai, who requested passage through Eretz Yisrael, and we're led to believe, why is Paro Nechai going through Eretz Yisrael? He wants to attack Ashur in the north. After all, that's what the Pasuk says. It says he went, Al-Melech Ashur. But recent archaeology, uh, this I read in the book, Uncovering Yirmiyahu, has discovered that Paranachai had no intention to go to the north to attack Ashur, 
but instead there was a big battle going on in Asia Minor at the time between the old king of Assyria and the new and up and coming Babylon. And Assyria was crumbling. Ninveh had already been captured. And the king of Assyria was reeling. And Paro Nechai was afraid of Babel. And therefore, Paro Nechai preferred a weak Assyria in the region rather than the strong Babylon. So he was headed to Assyria to bolster Assyrians' uh, effort against Babel. So Al-Melech Ashur means to aid Melech Ashur. And this is corroborated, Josephus writes the same, that Paranachoi was not going to attack Ashur, but rather to bolster the efforts of Ashur. And Paranachoi said, do us a favor, we want safe passageway through Eretz Yisrael. And Yeshua Novi, Yeshua Melech, believing that he eradicated Avodah from the Jewish people, knew that the Torah promised that if we do Ritzoyner Shalmakayim, no nation will even travel through Eretz Yisrael, even for the sake of peace. So he said, you can't come. You can't travel through our land. And Yoshio was looking for a rabbi to ask his Shaila to. And he was afraid to ask Yirmiya, because he knew what Yirmiya would say. So instead, he asked his question to Chulda Hanaviyah. And Chulda Hanaviyah, he felt would have a more sympathetic opinion. And this was Yoshiahu's error. The same error that we encounter today where people say, yeah, I asked a rabbi. You can't just ask a rabbi. You have to ask a true Talmud Chacham. And Yoshiahu did not do that. And when Yoshiahu denied passage, Pari went out to war against Yoshiahu. And then the Kina describes how the Egyptian archers made him samuha kematara lachitzim. They made Yoshiahu like target, like target practice, and they pierced his holy body with 300 arrows. And this great tzaddik's final words were tzaddik hu Hashem kipiu marisi, God is righteous, for I have rebelled against him. And the downfall of Yoshiahu ultimately led to the steps that ultimately preceded Chorban Bayis Risha and Kino Yeralef Ayikoinen Yermiyo Al Yoshiyahu. Kino Tezayin. This Kino, written by the Kalir, Reb Lezar Kalir, speaks about the unspeakable acts that the wicked Titus perpetrated when he entered the Kodesh Akdashim, the Holy of Holies. Of course, Titus was the Roman general who destroyed the second base Hamikdash. The siege began by who? Nero Kezar, who ultimately turned around at the last moment. Arak, the Ozal, the Agayer, the Nafak Mine, Rebbe Meir. So Shadari Lavei, Aspasionos Kezar. And then Aspasionos was promoted to emperor and he sent his son Titus and the Gemara tells us in Gittin and Vavam Abbas that Titus began his declaration not only with arrogance against the Jewish people and the temple, but against God Himself. He shouted, A Eloi Hamoit Surchasayubai. In Avish the Rabnasan relates that when Titus enters the base of Mikdash, he pounded the Mizbeach, he said, Lucas, Lucas, Wolf, Wolf, Ad Melech, Vano Melech. You're a king, I'm a king, let's wage war against each other. The Gemara in Gittin relates, Titus grabbed a harlot, took her into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, he spread out a Sefer Torah, and in the Holy of Holies, Titus committed the unspeakable Avera. He then slashed the Paroiches, and Hashem made a miracle that blood began to flow forth from the Paroichas. Titus thought, Haragas Atzmai, that he had Chas killed Kiviachal. He then took the Paroichas, made a large bundle, and used it to carry away all the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. By the account of Josephus, 97,000 Jews were taken captive and the death toll either by the sword or starvation was 1.1 million. 
the Romans minted a special coin for the occasion. On the one side, the head of Vespasian with the victory wreath. I should have it somewhere here. Here we go. This is the coin worth a lot of money. Vespasian is garlanded with a victory wreath and it says on the other side, Judea Capta, which is what Judea Capta means. Most think it means Judea Capta. Judah is captive. But for you Latin experts out there, many say Judea Capta, Capta Milashain Kaput. Judea is finished. And they carried all the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash back to Rome. <clears throat> and one of the most dramatic scenes in Imperial Rome is the Arch of Titus, which is a huge monument that's been erected, engraved the scenes of the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash being plundered. And our consolation is that while the Roman Empire has crumbled, if you want to see the Roman Empire, you go to the British Museum and you can see a coffee mug where the bottom part of the handle they claim was the frappuccino that Titus is Shifcha Kananis once washed out that's the only relic that remains from the Roman Empire and here we are today thriving yeshivas are being built and institutions all over the world the kina begins Zachar Asher Asot Sar Bifnim Remember what the tormentor did in the Beis HaMikdash. Shalaf He unleashed his sword. And he came into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. He struck terror throughout the land as he defiled the showbread. He pierced the curtain that had two sides. The Parichas was embroidered in a way where the image on one side was different than the image on the other side, says Yushalmi. If you go to the bottom line, the Mekoinein laments the challenging question, why when Nadav Aviu brought a strange fire into the Mishkan, these holy tzaddikim were punished by bolts of fire coming down immediately entering their nostrils, consuming their innards, and yet when the evil Titus committed the unspeakable. What happened to him? Nothing happened to him. How could such a thing be? Our forefathers, when they brought in a foreign fire, they were consumed by fire. And this brought in a despicable harlot. But the answer is very simple, Rachamim. Let's say we were gathered to hear a shear about the kinas, and the wire is not plugged in. So then the only people that could hear it are the people present. But when you plug in the wire, then all of a sudden, the message could travel. That's the difference between Titus and a Jew. Titus, he's a Gentile. So whatever he does, it's just Basar Vadam. He's not plugged into the system. But a Jew is plugged into the universe. Every word, thought, action, even the aura, the genesis of a thought that begins in the Kloyos affects the cosmos. So Titus could be Mizane in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It has no effect. But a Jew allows an impure thought to enter their mind that is more catastrophic even than what Titus did. Every morning the Kohanim would remove how many vessels? 93 vessels. Every single day they would take out 93 vessels. Look at page 228 on the sixth line. Oirenu Namek. Kehishkim Mishares, our flesh melted when 
the Mesharis woke up early. They could not find the 93 Klishares. Go to page 228. The Alkut Shemani tells us that the Malachim, that they're Malachim, and that when the Jews were admonished that they better change their ways, otherwise they'll face disasters, they were not afraid. We're going to say the names of Malachim, we'll call on the Malach of ice and fire and lightning, and they'll defend us. They'll protect us. But Chazal said that on that fateful day, the Malachim changed their names and changed their jobs. So when we summoned the Malachim, the Malachim cringed because they can no longer help us. Take a look at the 13th line. Vesaru ki yuzak b'shishim ribay mazikim. They thought Titus would be injured by the 600,000 demons. Medrash Rabbah says, that when the Romans came to destroy the base Hamikdash, 600,000 demons awaited at the gates to destroy them. By the way, that's a lot of demons. And they were about to attack, attack Titus, and the demon said if God himself had withdrew his power, and he does not interfere, then we cannot interfere. I'm sure you know the well-known account of the Panovich Rav, Rav Shlema Kahanaman, when he went to Italy to raise funds for the yeshivas, and he asked Rothschild to take him to the Arch of Titus, and the Panovich Rav addressed Titus, and he famously said, Mirzen in da, avu zentir, we are here. Where are you, Titus? So if I may, I would like to add a personal Arch of Titus story. Everyone should have their own personal Arch of Titus story. A few years ago, we had the opportunity to stand at the Arch of Titus. I went together with my father, Zolgazenstein, and Yehuda Gladstein. And 72 years earlier, when the war was coming to an end, and the Nazis had to make the decision, should they try to win the war? Instead, they dedicated all the resources to exterminate whatever Jews were still left in the camps. My grandfather, Sechetz included. And they packed whatever Jews were still left in the camps onto cattle cars where they were headed to the Tyrol Mountains in Italy to dig their own graves. And then 72 years later, I'm standing at the Arch of Titus Three generations. My father, my son, and I turn to the right, and who's standing next to us? Teddy Lackman. Who's Teddy Lackman? Teddy Lackman is the son of Meyer Lackman. One Pesach came into the shul when I was a Bachar, to the Agudov Avenue L, and into the shul, I was standing next to my grandfather, into the shul comes Mayor Lackman. And Mayor Lachman turns to me and says, You know, you're Zayda. He knows how to daven. I think, no kidding, he knows how to daven. Of course he knows how to daven. He said, No, no, you don't understand what I mean that he knows how to daven. In the death camps, he would be saying to Hillem, he would be davening the Shemana Esrei, and the Nazi would come and club him over the head, and he would fall down in a pool of blood on conscience. And then a day later, he would get up, he would dust himself off, he would brush himself off, and he would continue where he was up to in the Tehillim, in the Shemana Esrei, as if nothing happened. That's what I mean when I say that this Yid knows how to daven. And here we are, 72 years later. The descendants of my grandfather, the descendants of Mayor Lachman, and we're standing there, under the arch of Titus, three generations, the Anizois, Brisi, Oisam, Amar Hashem, Ruchi Asher Olecha, Udvarai Asher Samti Beficha, Lo Yamushu, Mipicha, Umipizaracha, Vizarazaracha, Amar Hashem, Eatavi Aroilam, 
And I too cannot help but think, Tito's Harasha, who has had the last laugh. But we know when Titus pierced the Parochas, Hashem made a miracle. And blood began gushing forth from the Parochas. And Rabbi Isaac Sher asks, Why would God make a miracle to trick Titus into thinking that Titus killed Kibiyachal? What's the purpose of this miracle? And Rabbi Isaac Sher explains that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was not making a miracle for Titus. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was making a miracle for the Jewish people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is teaching the Jewish people that Yerushalayim, that Siyoyim, that the Beis HaMikdash is Beis Chayenu. It's the heart of Klal Yisrael. And if Titus is destroying the Beis HaMikdash, then the world is suffering cardiac arrest. Then it's like a dagger in the heart of the Jewish people. Like we say in the bracha of the Haftorah, Rachem al Tzioyim, Kihi Beis Chayenu, Kinot Hazayin, one of the most dramatic highlights of Tishavav is Kina Chafalef, Arze Halavanoin, depicting the brutal murder of the Asara Haruge Malchus, the ten martyrs, ten great Tanoim who were murdered by the Romans. And these ten Tanoim were not all murdered at the same time. This is not meant as a historical account. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol did not even live at the same time as the other eight. But the purpose of the Kinnah is to be Ma'orer, Avelos, and Shuva. Now on Yom Kippur we read another piyot about the Asar Ruge Malchus. On Yom Kippur we read Ela Ezkara. Now we understand on Yom Kippur why we read the Ela Ezkara because the Gemara tells us in Ma'id Katan, Dav Chavches, Lamanismacha, Misas, Miriam, the Parshas Paraduma, Loi Malacha, Ma para aduma mechaperes af misas tzadikim mechaperes. So we understand why we read about the death of the tzadikim on Yom Kippur. But why do we read about the death of the Asar Harugi Malchus on Tishabav? The simple answer is, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says on Yerches Hamad Beis, Shkula Misa Sadikim Kisreifas Beis Alekeinu. I would like to share with you a thought that just occurred to me. There are many tragedies that happened throughout Jewish history that we don't talk about on Tisha B'Av. We don't speak about the Chamanitsky pogroms. There's no mention of them. Tens of thousands of Jews were brutalized in Tachvatat, 1648-1649. How many kinnas do we have about them? None. How many words do we say about them? We don't talk about them at all. Why not? I will quote to you what Rabbi Soloveitchik writes. I do not know why there are no kinnas recited on Tisha B'Av, which commemorate the Chamanitsky persecutions. That's his kasha. Why don't we talk about Chamanitsky? Now, in the past, we answered this question based on Rav Moshe, but I'm going to tell you a new answer this year. Rav Moshe asks an opposite question. Rav Moshe wants to know, why do we have a day of fasting, the 20th day of Sivan for the Chamanitsky pogroms, and we don't have a day of fasting for the Holocaust? That's Rav Moshe's kasha. And Rav Moshe answers, that we don't have to have a separate day of fasting for the Holocaust. The Holocaust is subsumed in Tisha B'av, just like the Crusades are subsumed in Tisha B'av. But the Chamanitsky pogroms, says Ramosha, are not subsumed in Tisha B'av. Why? So there much is a very big difference between the Holocaust, the Crusades, and the Chamanitsky pogroms. Anytime there's Jewish tragedy perpetrated by the reigning power, the government, that's a result of Chorba Mesamikdash. So the Jewish people have no autonomy, we have no sovereignty. So our sovereignty has been given over to the Roman Empire. And in our times it's America, and in the past it's been the Crusaders, or Germany, or Hitler. So whenever atrocity is perpetrated by the reigning government, that's a direct result as the Chorban. 
And we don't mourn for it on any other day but Tisha B'Av. It's subsumed in Tisha B'Av. But says Rav Moshe, the Chamanitsky pogroms were not perpetrated by the reigning government. They were anti-government, anti-police, anti-establishment. So when it's anti-establishment, it's not related to the Chorban. So therefore it has to be commemorated on a different day. According to that, why do we commemorate the Asara Haruge Malchus? Because that was perpetrated by the Roman government. The following approach just hit me. Part of it last night and part of it right now. The Nesivas Hamishpat writes in his commentary to Eicha that there is no tachlis in people sitting on the floor crying over past tragedy. Does it make you feel good to sit on the floor, not to eat, not to drink? Are you comfortable on the floor? I mean, we don't have carpet over here. Most shuls don't have carpet. Most shuls have marble, so we have wood, so it's a little bit more comfortable. You like, you like sitting on the floor crying? Is that going to do anything for the Jewish people? Somebody who was slaughtered 50 years ago, is he feeling more comfortable now that you're crying? Those who were massacred in times of Chorbeis HaMikdash, are they getting some kind of aliyah because you're afflicting yourself? It says in the Sivas, mourning has no tachlis at all. Unless we delve into the reason why these tragedies occurred. And we identify what the chait was. And we think about how we could correct it. So that means if the tachlis of saying the kinah is not just to mourn Jewish tragedy, but to identify the cause of Jewish tragedy, one would reasonably assume that we need to identify tragedies that are parallel to Chorban Beis HaMikdash, not random tragedies that were caused by Chatoim, not related to Chorban Beis HaMikdash. So I would humbly suggest, would there be any tachlis in talking about tach v'tad on Tishabav? Now, Tachvatah was a t- terrible disaster and atrocity. But what was the reason for Tachvatah? What caused it? So we know the Taisus Yamtif made a She'elas Chaloim. And he saw that the reason for the, the Xeros of 1648-1649 were because people were talking by Chazar Sashat, and people were talking by Davening. I'm not a fan of talking by Davening, if you haven't known that by now. But that is not relevant to Tishabav. What does the chait of Devarim, Betelim, Bishas Hatvila have to do with Tishabav? That's an Avera, it's mentioned in Shulchan Aruch. We have to be very careful about it. We could focus on it any time. But Tach Vitat is not relevant to Tishabav because the Siba, the cause of the tragedy, is not a similar cause to Chorm Beis Hamikdash. Not relevant to Chorm Beis Hamikdash. Ah, oh, but the Asara Haruge Malchus, that's very relevant to Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Because what was the reason for the Asara Haruge Malchus? Mechiras Yosef, Sinas Chinam. Ah, there's no better day a year to mourn the Asara Haruge Malchus than on Tishabav. You want to know what Sinas Chinam is? You want to know the repercussions of Sinas Chinam? You want to know the generational effect of Sinas Chinam. Yosef was sold by his brothers, so these ten tzaddikim had to come back as Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Shemeg Amliel, and Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol, and Rabbi Hanan Ben Tradyon, and they had to be murdered by the Romans. Why? Sinas Chinam! That's very relevant to Tishbav. There's no more appropriate day to discuss the effects of Mechiras Yosef than Tishabav. This is not just another Jewish tragedy. This is the heart, this is the cause of it all. That is perhaps why we mourn the Asar Haruge Malchus on, on Tishabav. The Kinnah begins. Arze Halavonoin Adire Hatoira. Cedars of Lebanon, Adirei HaToyra, giants of Toyra. 
Tzadikim are compared to cedar trees. Like we say, Tzadik, Katamar Yifrach, Ke'erez, Balavana, and Yiskeh. Bale Tracen, shield bearers. Interesting. Tamid Chachamim are called shield bearers, not sword bearers. Why? Rav Kook writes, and the Chassam Seifer says a very similar idea in Parashat Shoftim, that the job of a Tamar Chacham is not to impose their outlook on others, but when they are attacked, they have to be able to defend themselves. That's why they're called shield bearers. The Mishnah of a Gemara, in the learning of Mishnayis and learning of Gemara, Giboyrei Kayach, powerful warriors, Amoleha B'Tahara, who toil in purity. Learning Torah is different than any other intellectual pursuit. Other disciplines are dependent on intellectual capacity. But Torah requires Siata Deshmaya, requires Amelos. The Kina goes on to depict how they brought Reb Shimon ben Gamliel and Reb Shmuel Kain Gadol, and they each begged the executioner, "Kill me first, so that I don't have to bear to see the death of my beloved colleague." And the executioner was so overwhelmed, he decided to cast lots. Look on the tenth line: "Yadu Goyrol Mirisha in Lacherev Berura." They cast lots to see. Who would be put to the sword first? Kinefoil goyral araven shimon pashat savara yubachal kinigzrak zera. When the lot fell out on Rab Shimon, he stretched out his neck and he cried when the decree was issued. Rab Shimon Gamliel was the nasi, was the great grandson of Hillel, was the direct descendant of David Amelach. Says the Mishnah and Simon and Gimel of Katan Lamed Hey in the name of the Sefer Chasidim. Then when Rishim Gamliel was being carried out to be killed, he asked Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol, my dear brother, why am I being taken out to be killed as a criminal? I don't have any averos on my record. And Rabbi Shmuel replied, maybe one time when you were lecturing to the masses, your heart felt a certain personal pleasure. You benefited improperly from the Torah. And Rabbi Shimon replied, Achi nichamtani, my dear brother, you've comforted me, you've provided rationale for why I'm experiencing this. If you look on the bottom line, Mizera Aharoin, Sha'al Bivakasha, Livkois Alben Hagvira, the progeny of Aharoin, Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol, requested to be able to cry over the son of Rabbi Shimon. He took the severed head of Reb Shimon and he placed it on his lap. By the way, there's a big question. A Kayin could take the head of a mess and put it on his lap? I believe I saw over Shabbos that there's a halacha that a Kayin is allowed to be metame to the Nasi. To the Nasi, all of Kal Yisrael are considered Avelav. So Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon could take the head of <clears throat> Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Not Loi Roshay He took the head of Rabbi Shimon and he placed it on his lap. Menorah Hatahayra, O pure Menorah. Some Einav Aleinav Upiv Alpiv. By the way, in light of our introduction to Kinos, where a person's Einayim are the Menorah, we understand the Hemshech, Menorah HaTahorah Som Einav Al Einav. The Menorah is a reference to the holy eyes of Rav Shimon Gamliel. Anav Omar, Peh HaMizgaber BaTorah, Mouth that strengthened itself in Torah, Pisaim Niknesa Allah Misa Mashuna suddenly is being afflicted with a cruel death. The Makainan then relates that they then turned to Abishmal Kain Gadal and they skinned, they ordered to skin the skin of his head with a sharp razor. And as they tore the skin off his head, Rabbi Shmal did not make a peep, he did not cry. 
How could such a thing be? How could somebody withstand such torture? But we know the Marame Rutenberg taught his student the Tashbeitz. When the Maram was, uh, was imprisoned in Einzishayim, one of the halachas he taught the Tashbeitz is that when a person gives up their life al Kiddush Hashem, they don't feel any pain. It's a haftacha. It's a special, it's a special gift. One does not feel any pain. Ad Kedei Kach, the Rabbi Yosef Engel asks, so then, Rabbi Akiva, what was the great, great my love, Rabbi Akiva, that they were Sorek Besar Bemasveker Shalbarza, and the Talmudim said, even now? What do you mean? The person doesn't feel anything. Bishas Kiddush Hashem. Like we see, Rabbi Shmuel. But says the Kina, Rasha, Hapoishet, when the wicked man stretched out his hand, Eishigia Lemakoim Tfilin Mitzvah Zbara. When they reached, the brilliant mitzvah of tefillin. Tzoak, tzoaka, Rabbi Shmuel, Kain Gadol, let out a cry. The world shaked and the earth crumbled. Rabbi Shmuel was able to contain his own personal pain. But when he realized that this would be the last time he would ever be able to fulfill the precious mitzvah of tefillin, he cried out in great suffering. By the way, the Ramah Mipano reveals that Yoshio HaMelech was a Gilgal, that Rabbi Shmuel Kayengado was the Gilgal of Yoshio HaMelech. The Mekoinen then laments the torturous murder of Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara Brachos tells us that Rabbi Akiva was imprisoned and sentenced for teaching Torah publicly. And they took Rabbi Kiva out to be killed at the time of Kriya Shema. By the way, it was Kriya Shema Shel Arvis, not Kriya Shema Shel Shachras. Look on the ninth line, on page 250, Me'acharov Rabbi Akiva. Afterward, they brought up Rabbi Akiva. This was 60 years after the Khurban. Rabbi Akiva, at the time, was 120 years old. Rabbi Kiva's penetrating analysis could uproot mountains and grind them together. They combed off his flesh with iron combs to break him. His soul departed as he was saying the word Echad of Kriyashma. The Gemara tells us, Ki alecha hiragnu kol hayoyim, Shema. That the Jewish people are killed for the sake of God every day, this refers to Shema. What does this mean, this refers to Shema? It says a Shulchan Aruch, that when one says the Kriya Shema, one needs to say Shema, Be'ema, Uveyira, Uvereses, Uvezea. You know that halacha? It's a halacha in Shulchan Aruch. That when you say Shema, it needs to be Be'ema, Uveyira, Be'reses, Uvezea. Why do you have to get so worked up when you say Shema? Why do you need to shake and trepidate? And why are you so anxious when you say Shema? Says the Tshuvas Harajba, quoted by Mishnah Brura. When one says Shema, they are required to imagine that they are giving up their life. Al Kiddush Hashem, Biskila, Bisrefa, Behereg, Uvechenek. This is not a nice thing to do. This is not like a Hidr mitzvah. This is a Halacha Psuka. That when you say Shema, you're required to imagine giving up your life al Kiddush Hashem. This is not a Chumrah, a Hidr, it's a Seif in Shulchan Aruch. Hakore Kriya Shema, Chayiv Likrois, Be'ema, Be'ira, Be'reses, Uvazeah. In fact, one of the students of Ramami Pano says that when you say Shema with the right Kavana, it's mechaper all your averos. Because if you're thinking, you're experiencing the Dalit Misois Bezdin, so 
It's like you experienced it. By the way, he writes, the student of the Ramami Pano, something which is Oya Menoira, says, we know that an Oni is Chashiv Kameis. We know that a blind person is Chashiv Kameis. So if somebody is tempted to look at something inappropriate, and one closes their eyes to it, so you're even, you're even less than a, a blind person. Because a blind person can't see. You're able to see and you're closing your eyes and you're making yourself a summa? You're chash of kameis? It's mechaper all your averas. If you're maharer b'tshuva, you're walking down the street and you say, okay, I'm going to turn away. And you render yourself a summa, it's mechaper all your averas. Likewise, one who says Kriya Shema and imagines that they would give up their life, Al-Kiddush Hashem, it's Mechaper all your Averos. <clears throat> Rabbi Akiva was asked by his Talmidim, even now you're able to say Shema when your life is being taken away? So you know what Rabbi Akiva said? My whole life, every time I said Shema, I envisioned I was giving my life up al Kiddush Hashem. That was my kavana every time I said Shema. So now that I have the opportunity, I'm not going to say the Shema. That was my kavana every time I said the Kriya Shema. During World War I, Rav David Pavarsky, later become the Rashiva Panovich, was in a situation where the only way to escape the enemy is he would have to hide out in an outhouse. And then he didn't take up the opportunities. People asked him, how could you not save your life? The <laughs> You have to go into the bathroom to save your life. And Rabbi David Farzai, I couldn't do it. Because for, from time immemorial, a Jew always gives up their life saying Shema Yisrael. If I would be in the outhouse, I would not be able to say the Shema. I couldn't bring myself to do that. Kina Chaf Aleph, Arzei Alevonon, Adirei HaTorah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.